Do you have a story to tell? Here at Rider on the Road, it's the journey that matters. Regardless of where you are on your riding journey, Rider on the Road will inspire you to take your dreams and make them happen. So sit back and enjoy the show as Melinda brings you guests who know what it's like to go it alone and who are willing to reach out to the rest of us by sharing their stories. Authors, publishers, entrepreneurs, people at all stages of the riding journey, just like you and me. It's time, dear listeners, to answer the question for yourselves. Do you have a story to tell? And it's welcome to another episode of Writer on the Road. Today we're travelling across to the USA and I have the master storyteller himself with me. I have um, Park Howe and he is the owner of Business of Story. Uh, welcome to Australia, Park. Well, Melinda, it's great to be here. I appreciate you taking the time, especially so early on your Saturday morning kicking off the weekend. So it's an honor to be here. Yeah, and as um, as my listeners know, we I end up all over the world. I've, I've spoken to people in Germany. I've spoken to people in Newfoundland. I just love getting around the place. So, Park, it, it's a pleasure. Uh, one day I'll get to see you all in person, but in the meantime, I just have to talk to you at these ungodly hours over here in Oz. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah, Park, if you'd like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story. Absolutely. Thank you, um, Melinda. Again, my name is Park Howell, as you mentioned, with the business of story. I'm in Phoenix, Arizona. It's 95 degrees out right now at one in the afternoon on Friday. So I, you've got a full day ahead of me here. Um, and I have been in the advertising marketing world for 30 years, You know, working for other agencies. I've run my own ad agency for 20 of those years. One of our specialties was really in brand, brand strategy development, we did everything from traditional advertising, TV, radio, print, outdoor, you know, that sort of thing. And when we got our start, and of course, everything has moved into the digital realm. So for the past 10 plus, you know, 12 years, I have really studied story, storytelling, especially f- starting out of Hollywood. What does Hollywood know about telling a great story that we all can use in our own lives to really own that story, our, per- our per- personal brand and our professional brands? Um, so that we can connect with people on a more human level. And Melinda, that's important in this day and age because, as you know, as we're doing right here, um, the masses are the media. Brands used to own that influence of mass media, of TV, radio, and print. But now because the masses are the media, there is an absolute cacophony of communication out there. And it's really, really difficult for brands, whether it's a solopreneur, entrepreneur, mid-market company, or very large brand, to cut through the clutter, rise above the noise of the attention economy, um, and really stand out. And I found, uh, through kind of a hypothesis of using the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, and we can talk a little bit about that, created a process that we could use in business, kind of simplifying it, but very much approaching our brand stories like an author would so that we can create more of a human connection with our audiences um, and get away from the features and benefits din that is happening out there that we're all competing with. And going back to literally the irony of this is the ancient power of story, how our brains are hardwired 
to create meaning out of the madness around us through story so that we can overcome our technological advances that makes us all a broadcast station. So that's that's kind of the quick synopsis of traditional advertising, having to understand story just to be successful with ourselves and our brands to, again, rise above the noise. Yeah, and thanks, Puck. What you've done is you, you've summed up what our problem is as indie authors, uh, defining our stories, getting our name out there, being heard uh, above the noise. Now, I've had another guest on, Brian Crisp. He works for News Corp here in Australia, and he's head of their, their digital content marketing. And uh, Brian has already talked a little bit about what Park's talking about, and it's that power of story, uh, how we tell our stories, how we define ourselves. And today, Park's going to talk us through a little bit how we do that. He doesn't know that yet. He's looking at me saying, am I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's what we'd like to know, Pal. We want to make sure that we get it right because we, our businesses are, I guess, minuscule in the big realm of that digital world. Um, but a lot of us are story writers. We're, we're novelists. And a lot of us are in that, I guess, that romance writing world and adventure thriller writing world. And there's a lot of lot of noise out there. But that art of story seems to allow us to break through, uh, I guess, a little bit more easily than some. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. I, what I'd what I'd like you to do is you take us through that that story cycle um, because mm-hmm. you're very good at it. I, I've listened to Park. If anyone wants to go back, it's I think it's um, episode thirty nine with Daniel Geffen. We've had Daniel on, guys, and Park actually took Daniel through that whole process. I'm not going to let him do that to me today because <laughs> I might cry. Uh, <laughs> so so Park, go for it. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, Melinda, let me start by saying it's really important what I've learned in this process of proving out this hypothesis that what Hollywood knows in the story structure that we need to know and use is that we are all dealing in this world of abundance. There are abundance opportunities for our clients and customers to choose from abundant different people. And the only way, ironically enough, that we can really stake out our own claim is we have to get super focused on ourselves, and that begins with truly understanding our story. I tell my classes, I teach at Arizona State University this process and all the brands I work with, the most potent story you will ever tell is the story you tell yourself. So make it a good one. Let's start there. But number two, really understand how you are unique and what you bring to the market. And anybody can use this process on themselves as a writer, as a communicator, as a leader to help start separating you from the ocean of people out there that are doing the exact same thing. But I guarantee you, we are all unique in our own ways and what we bring to the world. And when you understand and are able to quickly articulate that story, you will start separating yourself from the pack. So, Real quick, the, the little bit of a history lesson on Joseph Campbell, and you may well have covered this a lot on your, your show. Um, he was America's foremost mythologist, and he studied stories, starting with Native Americans over here, and he found that the tribes shared a lot of the same stories. They were just told in their own language, in their own region, um, with their own characters, but he realized there was this absolute pattern to story. He started digging deeper into that, and he found that this dates back to the beginning of time. Aristotle Aristotle talked about it. 
the apostles, Shakespeare, up to Spielberg in this day and age. It's this universal structure he calls the hero's journey. I've boiled it down to this 10-step process I call the story cycle, very much inspired by the hero's journey. And again, what I saw, how Hollywood was using it and how screenwriters were using it to make you know just some of the most magnificent movies out there. But there is a formula to it. There's a form. There's a pattern to it. Um, and so what I do is what I'll take you very quickly through it. The 10 steps. Step number one is simply the backstory. You got to set the stage for your story. If it's your personal brand, you just ask yourself, where have you been? Where are you now? Where are you going? And you ultimately want to get to that point of what are you the best at? Now, I don't mean, you know, by bragging. I'm just saying, what is your personal passion that drives your professional pursuit? When you find that, you find that now you're rising above people because you're just doing something you naturally love and you're probably already pretty good at and you're willing and have the grit to pursue it. So that's the backstory for your own personal stories to try to define what is your number one position in the marketplace. Number two is who's your hero, chapter two. So we have to know who this story is is for. In this case, the story is about you, but you're not the hero. You are the guide, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So you want to identify who your hero is. Who's who's your hero? And it, it's not only for your brand, but for big brands, we ask them to identify who are your top three audiences that you're talking to, and what is it that each one of them wants. All right. So every story has a protagonist that we can live vicariously through, relate with, and cheer for them as they are on their journey to achieve something. So in this case, your protagonist hero needs to match up with your audience. So you have to really know who they are. Step three is what's at stake. You know, you don't have a story unless you have something at stake, something you are willing to go after no matter what. And knowing that you're probably going to have to pivot a couple times along the way as as unit the universe has a way of punching us in the nose when we go after something to test ourselves but you want to know what's at stake in this journey what do you stand to gain when you go after it and what do you stand to lose if you do nothing if you stay in status quo number four then speaking of status quo is what hollywood calls the inciting incident i call it that's sort of jargony so i call it simply the call to adventure Now, what is happening in the marketplace out there um, that is changing either a disruption that's going on that your brand is responding to or a disruption that you are actually creating in the marketplace? And this is really important. It's It's as important, if not more important, than stakes because if we stay in status quo, nothing changes. We have no story. We need this inciting incident to propel us forward. Get into chapter five of the story cycle process, and we are talking about what I call villains, fog, and crevices, um, or the obstacles and antagonists that are in our way. So I break it down to these three, Melinda, because they're kind of fun. I find it really works for the business mind to get them out of their left brain and into their right brain and into their hearts and have some more fun. Who are the villains that are standing in your way? It could be competition. Um, it, it, you know, often competition, someone who's trying to keep you from succeeding or taking your market. There's also internal villains, that little voice inside of us that says, oh, I'm not so sure you're smart enough, fast enough, good enough to pull this off. We even have loved ones that become the you know, euphemism of a villain in that they have our best interests at heart, but they're going to say, well, are you sure? Hasn't somebody already done that? Or if this idea is so good, you know, it, 
someone would have already done that. You know, they're always trying to protect ourselves. So we have to recognize those folks in this um, story arc and understand how we're going to deal with them. Then we have fog, the blind spots, what it is we know or we don't know that we don't know. And if we're talking about our customers, what is it that they don't know about us that is that are blind to that we need to illuminate through how we share our stories? And then finally, uh, uh, the, the third part of this is the crevices. What are the gaps in our story and in our performance? We may say one thing, but are actually doing something else. And that will destroy a story faster than anything else. When we work with big brands, this is really kind of a come to Jesus part of the process because often they will tell us an aspirational story of where they want to be, but then they have to come to grips that they aren't operationally delivering on that yet. So they have to get their story and really understand it internally and deliver on it before they can talk about it externally. All right. So five chapters right there. Very quick. Do you have any questions before I go to the second half of this? (laughs) Yes. My question is, Park, what's my podcast about again? I've forgotten now. (laughs) I'm starting to think, oh, oh, I better go back. I'm going to have to do some homework, team. Um, Bear with me. I'm going to listen to the end of Hal's, uh, sorry, Park's little talk here and then I'm going to redefine myself and all my audience will probably go away and I'll get a whole new one. Keep going. <laughs> well, what we will do after this, I've got 10 questions. I can boil these 10 steps down to the 10 most basic questions that you can use and your listeners can use very quickly to kind of write down the answers to, and you'll see gaps in your answers. You'll see areas that you, you don't know what that answer is and that's totally cool, but that's where you use this process to truly author your story. So I'll get back, I'll get to that in a minute after this. But so let's review. We went through the backstory, the setting of the stage or your number one position in the marketplace. What do you do better than anybody else? Number two, who's your hero? So who are your audiences that you are sharing this story with and what do they want? Because you have to share the story from their point of view, not yours. Number three is what's at stake. What is it that they want to achieve in the hearing of the story that you can help them achieve? You help your audiences get what they want. They will go out of their way to help you get what you want. Number four, um, you can't sell in the status quo unless you're the low price leader like Walmart. So what disruption is going on in the marketplace that makes you more relevant and more urgent um, than anybody else out there because of how you help them answer that disruption? Number five, you've got your villains, fog, and crevasses, crevices, the obstacles and antagonists. Now, this is where you as a brand really step in, honestly. And this is called uh, chapter six, enter the mentor. The guide. Now, a lot of people think the protagonist is the most important part of any story. But if you think about it, um, you know, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you know, she was the protagonist. We could live vicariously through her. We could experience her. But without the mentors that she had, Glenda Goodwitch of the North, you know, and her sidekicks that went along the way, they were hugely important for her to find herself and find her journey. Same is true with Obi-Wan Kenobi and Yoda with uh, with uh, Luke Skywalker. Luke was, of course, at the center of the story, but without those folks aiding him, he would get nowhere. So that's the beautiful thing about this, is you are not the center of the story, your audience is, because you are the guide or the mentor. So what I do is ask uh, the guides and mentors to really think about three things. What emotional promise do people get by simply interacting with you and the brand? Is it peaceful? Is it confidence? Is it excitement? I mean, what is that emotion that they get when they interact with you? Number two, what gift 
do you provide them? So as a writer, you know, a lot of people might think, well, I, my gift is I am a wonderful romance novelist and I focus on Queensland area. You know, to get it really focused, that's what I do. So my gift are these wonderful books I write. And my argument would be, that's what you make, but what do you actually make happen in their lives? So your gift really might be the gift of transport. You are transporting them into another world. It could be the gift of freedom. You're allowing them to get out of their own lives and enjoy something different for a while. It's escape or something. So ask yourself, as the mentor, you're building this personality around it. What is the emotional promise people get every time they interact with you? And what is the gift they receive that goes beyond what it is you make? It's what you make happen in their lives. And then thirdly in this area is what personality do you take to market? And how authentic is that personality? So we use in our branding process um, the famous Swiss psychologist Carl Jung's 12 archetypes. Everybody knows about them. And the, the people that really geek out on archetypes take these into you know, 34, 32, 64. I mean, you can go deep, deep, deep. I have found that 12 primary archetypes are a great way to go in and look at um, uh the different archetypes and how they relate to you. And you will probably find one that is your absolute primary archetype. And then you might find one or two that are supporting archetypes. Most people typically do. And Melinda, I can tell you, I've got a, a slide share and I can send you a link to this so you can have it in the notes of these 12 archetypes spelled out. It's really quick. Your listeners can go and pull up a slide per archetype very quickly. Understand, see some examples there of what um, each archetype is and start trying to define which one is good for them right for them. And this is important because the archetype now informs the personality and the expression of your brand. So for instance, one archetype is the jester archetype, the fun archetype. Do you have Ben and Jerry's ice cream out there? Is that, a, is yes. that an ice cream brand? Yep, so do. that's a jester brand, you know, yep. premium. They have fun with it. You know, very much of a jester brand. And do you have haagen out there? Uh, no. I don't think so. Okay, another very high-end premium brand, but that's a lover brand. And they are selling the same commodity of ice cream. Both of them are delicious, but one of them has very much of this jester personality, Ben and Jerry's, and one of them has this lover personality. Um, just to be able to cut through the clutter, separate themselves on the shelf, just like we all need to do when we're talking out there. And it's really important too, because it helps guide our content creation on our websites, our, the visuals we want to use. It gets us out of just thinking of features and benefits and bullet points and listicles and that kind of thing, because your voice needs to you know, resonate through to really uh, spell out your brand. All right. So I've been going on and on. Any questions? <laughs> More questions so far? I know oh, I'm throwing want, a lot at you. I want lovers ice cream. I'm still I'm still hung up. I haven't got. Oh, I, <laughs> and I know the fun one. I'm doing it all wrong. Uh, <laughs> Park, I I'm I'm fascinated and I'm I'm listening with avid ears and I'll certainly transcribe this everyone and get it up there. I immediately started jotting down Carl Jung's um, primary archetypes for all of us, uh, everyone. But we're really spoiled here today because Park's going to supply it all for us. I'm guessing that this will be one podcast that we can take so much from that we'll probably listen to again and again. I will, of course, refocus on my my three gifts to my audience uh, and, and my reasons for be, 
being here, um, but we all know I'm here so that um, we can bring on guys like you to help us make <laughs> be better storytellers. So, look, don't let me interrupt you. They'd rather listen to all you right. than me today. <laughs> well, then we'll move into Chapter 7. And Chapter 7 is actually where you get to talk about your features and benefits a little bit. It's all been setting the stage for that. Chapter 7 I call the Road of Trials. This is where the journey is, where your audiences start truly connecting with you on their terms, not yours. But what you obviously are trying to do is share with them a story that they can live into and prosper from. And it happens to be your story too. You know, you were trying to build our audiences of shared values. So this place, we look at three primary mile markers in this journey, brand awareness. Where did I first hear about you? And what was I doing within my own journey that you are connecting with me on? Um, brand adoption. Oh, I like what you have to say. I, I'm going to buy into that. I'm going to adopt it. It doesn't mean I'm going to keep you around, but I'm going to adopt it. And where, what part of the journey are they on when that happens and which stories do you connect with them? And the other, next one is brand appreciation. I love you. I'm coming back. I'm buying more of your books. I'm buying more. I'm sharing you around. I really appreciate what you do. And so each of those three areas are very critical because you need to tell the right story at the right time to the right people when they're in each of those to keep ushering them forward, progressing in the story from brand awareness to adoption to appreciation. Then I'm um, keeping those same three things in mind. Let's go to chapter eight. Victory is at hand. What we want to do here is pay very close attention to those stories we're telling and design into the stories that you're telling and that they're living into um, victories, little wins. So when someone first hears about you or, he, or any of your listeners, and they, maybe they find you first on the website, what victory do you give them? What, what do they get to leave with that you just have leveled them up in their pursuit of something? Um, so much so then that they come back for more, and maybe now they're buying something from you. Now that's brand adoption. What success metric, what victory do you design into that story journey that you keep leveling them up? You know, in the uh, digital realm, uh, you hear this equation when you're trying to sell a book or a webinar or something. Give away seven things before you ask for your audience to buy something. Give away seven things. So, you know, that first awareness round is, man, that's seven rounds of awareness victories that you're giving them something that makes them better, better, better. Finally, you're going to ask for the sale. You're going to adopt them, get them to adopt in. And then um, the brand awareness and appreciation is what do you do there? How do you arm them with your stories so that they can freely go out and share it with their audiences so they become your ambassador? You're really starting to move them up out of brand appreciation into brand evangelism. And Melinda, this is hugely important at this point because what we are now trying to do as a brand is no longer become the brand storyteller. We are the brand maker, and we're handing the story off to our audiences and enabling them and equipping them to go out and share and tell our stories. They become the brand storytellers in that appreciation stage. We have two last chapters. These go by very quickly, but they're hugely important. And some might even say, start on chapter nine. Chapter nine is the moral of the story. Now, every story we hear, literally, I would even argue every joke we hear, every line that really stops us in our track that we hear has a moral to it. And here's the reason why. There's a terrific book, if you haven't read it, highly recommended by Lisa Cron, C-R-O-N, 
called Wired for Story. And Lisa was on my Business of Story podcast. And you will love it. If you haven't read it, especially from a writing teaching standpoint, she is, of course, an author and she's a professor at uh, University of California, um, UCLA. Um, and she teaches writers. She, the, the book about uh, Wired for Story is, is working with writers. One of the great things I pulled from that is she said, you know, we can go weeks without eating. We can go days without drinking. But we can only go about 35 seconds without creating meaning out of something going on around us. So we are constantly scanning our environment probing beneath the surface of what's actually happening, searching for clues with this embedded app called Curiosity. You know, we all have it. So Curiosity, think of it as kind of a basal search engine that allows us, again, to take in all of this stimuli, real-time that's happening, filtering it through um, this membrane of experience. So we're trying to give our brains an opportunity to predict the future, all in trying to create this clarity of this chaos going around us. So we use story to do all of that, and we use story in our subconscious. This is why the moral of the story is so critical. Your audiences are going to read meaning into your story, no matter what that story is. And if you are not crystal clear on how you tell that story and truly own that story from your standpoint, they may make up meaning you never intended. Their subconscious is constantly, think of it, story is the software that drives the hardware of our brain. And we got to have it purely for survival. So I ask you this and, and to be thinking about starting with the moral of the story is because this is where you are connecting your values with the values you share with your audiences. Beliefs and values, when you connect those and you deliver on those, you build trust. And then that, of course, levels them up into, from brand adoption into brand appreciation. But always ask yourself, what am I trying to say? What is the meaning of what I'm trying to say? What does this mean to them? And then be very either implicit or if your story is really good, um, well, let me take that backwards. Be very explicit about it. Or if you really got your story dialed in, you can be implicit about its meaning. But make sure that whatever story you're sharing has the meaning you want it to come across. And in the branding world, the number one goal is simply to connect your shared values with their shared values. And what I love about that, Melinda, is it's not only a human connection, but you can't lie about it. People, brands in the past could. They could get away with suggesting that they valued something you did and tell you a wonderful story on TV and radio and print, and you didn't have much recourse if it wasn't true. Well, now again, because they don't own the influence of mass media because the masses are the media, you got to be dead on with your values and you have to back them up. Otherwise, they will call you out in a heartbeat. So chapter nine of the story cycle process is the moral of your story. What does this mean? You know, be to connect the beliefs, values to build trust. And then finally, chapter 10 is to be continued. Um, we This is not a one and done uh, uh, a cycle. Uh, that once you're done, you want to build that audience and get them to, you know, to grow. So for instance, you think about it, the first revolution of the story cycle process is about brand awareness in a lot of cases. I don't know who you are. Tell me a little bit more about you. How can you help me? You know, uh, what am I up against from adopting you? And what, okay, you know, I like what you have to say. All right, I'm going to give you a try. All of a sudden you're now on the second revolution of the story cycle process. It's an absolute fractal of itself. 
So the backstory now becomes, well, they now know of us and they're actually buying into us. Here's our audience and we're leveling them up in each of the process. So now here's what they want. Here's what's changing in their life that makes it more relevant than ever to have us. Here's what they're up against so, you know, to, um, to not adopt us. And here's how we're helping them overcome it. We get them through the 10 stages and now we're back at stage one again, but they are brand um, aficionados or, or they truly appreciate the brand. We want to take them through the whole cycle again as we level them up, empower them in each revolution of this process. So it goes back to basic story, universal story structure that literally has been around since the beginning of the t- of time. And the reason why that is, it is simply how we survive. We survive through story. And the more we know about that in our personal and professional branding life, the better we can be not only authentic with our own stories, but we can connect with audiences like we never have before. What do you think, everybody? Do we do we um, like listening to this man? Does he speak beautifully? He's known internationally as a raconteur. I love that word. Uh, <laughs> Park, you, you're inspirational in what you say, and what what I'm taking from it is my audience, I'm thinking, is very well positioned as storytellers to start with. So we have very, very good storytellers. We have storytellers who are only just starting out, uh, giving ourselves permission to trust our voices because it's instinctive in every one of us to tell our stories. Would you agree with that? Without a doubt. Yeah, it's what makes us human. Another terrific book, um, The Storytelling Animal by Jonathan Gottschall. If you haven't read that, it's why stories make us human. It is the thing that really separates us from all mammals, from all other animals, is that we tell stories. So yes, it is innate in our being. And I always say we were at the tops of our storytelling games in kindergarten. Do you call it kindergarten out there? It's kindergarten here. Yes, it's kindergarten. Yep. Especially in America. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, think about it. We uh, had fun with it. We acted it out. We freely shared our stories. I can't tell you, Melinda, how many times I was told, Park, stop telling stories. Um, But that's just it. Our (laughs) educational systems, our corporate cultures, political correctness, social constructs has a way of absolutely closing that curtain on our inner storyteller. But it never kills it. It just silences it. I have found working with leaders around the world and with brands that when they give themselves permission and get intentional about approaching their storytelling, it reignites this one true superpower we all have. And that is truly the power of story to literally nudge the world in any direction we choose through our persuasive you know, abilities that come out of storytelling. Yeah, I work a lot with teenagers, Park, and encourage them, encouraging them to tell their stories. So we run a lot of workshops and I watch those students. I was up in the hinterland, up in the beautiful Sunshine Coast hinterland on Wednesday and I had a group of young teenagers and they took an idea and they ran with it and they took it places that I could never, never take it. But I was allowed to be there and be privileged to guide that group as 
as they grew their little wings and they flew um, because no one was telling them not to. It was out of the school environment. There was no testing. There was no correct grammar. And no one told them that they couldn't. And to watch their imaginations and curiosities fly is, is an amazing privilege. Uh, and I, I find that tapping into that actually energizes me as a storyteller as well. Oh, good on you. Isn't that the term you use out there? That's wonderful. And the reason why is you are helping them to re-reveal that inner storyteller. And it's it's the teenagers that so often get shushed. You know, they're the ones that are like, be quiet, just, you know, just go and do your thing. Um, so I love that, the fact that uh, you just keep them out. I think we would not have the the crazy, crazy election that we have going on in America the dis- despicable in a lot of respects, if we had more civil, civic discourse, and that comes from allowing people to truly speak their minds, but in very respectable ways, you know, on both sides of the aisle. And I think that comes from allowing people to maintain that storyteller within them. Stop shushing them. Let them speak, and I think you're going to get much more civil, civic discourse. It's just is going to happen. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of talk, and it fits very much in with what we're talking about here, Park. Uh, with our education system, and you're tapping into a little bit of a passion of mine now, uh, there's a change in what our, what the future holds for our teenagers. I've got two teenagers myself. One girl's 16 and she's going off into the theatre, as everybody knows. And, <laughs> yeah, and I'm cutting all this stuff out of the newspapers and listening to stuff on online. Uh, the jobs for our kids in the future aren't what they traditionally have been. And to be able to adapt and to be able to link into this digital digital world is, is a huge, I guess, plus for them. So even though you ditch or pitch a lot of your stories to big business and big brands, I'm guessing there's a lot of young people out there could really benefit from the kind of things that you're saying. Yeah, I work a lot with the educational system here in Arizona too. So, you know, I, I work with brands of all sizes, but I work with some kids down in some high, in high schools in South Phoenix, you know, that really come from troubled homes, troubled neighborhoods, and our whole work with them is just like, hey, man, we're here to listen to your story. And I take them through the process because I think it has, it gets them to get real with what their story is. You know, a lot of them like to come in and do a lot of BSing. Um, They like to hold up masks because God knows what they've been through. And we find when you do let that inner in a lot of cases, childish storyteller come out in them. It's a freeing thing for them. It's uh, it's just something we all innately know and can appreciate because it literally is how we're hardwired to make sense of the madness going on around us. Yeah, and we have a um, we have an education system here in Australia, and I think it's it's coming from you guys over there. We blame you for everything. Uh, <laughs> and it's all it's all testing, and it's all. Um, passing and failing and we fail more kids than we pass and everybody gets really stressed and even our high achievers don't achieve um, to the extent that we want them to so we're having nervous breakdowns with kids who are 15. Um, Park shaking his head here he knows exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah yeah well yeah it goes back to what I I like to say I guess Um, maybe others say too I don't know it but it's this learning by rote versus lore. And I like the lore part of it because, you know, you can only memorize so much stuff. But when you really get down 
to the stuff you remember. It's been delivered to you through an event of a story. Now, let me give you an an example. And this is really good for your listeners, too, especially those that are really well-educated, high-end, you know, engineers, big thinkers that have been taught that data is the story and data is not the story. Data is is the foundation for a story. But in order in order to uh, communicate and make meaning out of that data, you have to start with the story. So here's my example that I share, and I work you know with ASU. I do this a lot with our our students. I say you know data does one of three things, and this is why I'm against rote learning, by the way, because it's data based. Um, data does one of three things. Data either reports an event that has happened. You know, yesterday it was what was the temperature there in Queensland yesterday? Twenty seven, twenty eight. Oh, 27, yeah, 27, 28. So there's the data. Okay, let's say it's 28, 28 degrees uh, Celsius in Queensland. That's the data. What is it today? Do you have any appreciable change? No. We, so we've been right. spoiled. The rest of Australia, is, I'm, I'm feeling a bit uncomfortable, Park, because the rest of Australia is getting battered and blown around and disaster. Ah. We've got sunshine here and it's glorious. Very good example. Okay, so we can talk about your sunshine and your 28 degrees Celsius there. That's a data point. Now, today we can talk about maybe a huge windstorm or being battered somewhere else. You can watch the, uh, the, the meteorologist, and that data is going to monitor the event as it happens. And then we have data that it says, well, what's tomorrow to be? So we have data that tries to predict the future, tries to predict the event of the future. But what does our mind care about? Our mind doesn't care about the data. It cares about the event. And why is that, Melinda? Why does our mind not care about the data, but it cares about the event? Because it impacts on us. Because events can kill us. Data can't. I know. I mean, if you get down to the most basal level of what our brain is designed to do in our our brain stems there, in that reptilian brain stem, it is to keep ourselves alive. So what does it care about? What are events that can kill us that we either have to fight or flight? So when we have our kids in schools and we're asking them to memorize this and memorize that and memorize that, we're asking them to commit data to their brain in some sort of categorized logical order that they hope to be able to recall at some point. And yet we think of any of our experiences and what do we recall? We recall the story around that data. Now, I will say data is important to back up the emotional points that you make in your story. So you can get up and absolutely move an audience with the stories you tell. And you should because you are selling to their hearts and their head's going to follow. But, boy, that head's going to dive into the data and make sure that you're telling the truth. It's going to back it up with the data points. That's when the data comes in. But what too often happens, especially in business, is we lead with the data. We think the data is the hero of the journey, and it's not. It's just the support structure. It's the undercarriage of the race car of story. Isn't that beautiful? I'm, I'm immediately thinking of living in my caravan and how life is so much more immediate out there um, from, yeah. from drinking my cup of Milo with the um, kookaburras at 5 o'clock in the morning uh, <laughs> to when it rains, you know, we're huddled in. In a house, you don't have that immediacy. You don't have that contact because you're sheltered and you're, and you're shut off from it to a certain That's extent. Right. And that, that inhibits your story. And some of the things that I talk about with um, my guests as, as and my author guests is, how do you tap in to that raw emotion uh do you do you need to be out there living it 
And we're spoiled now for research. We're spoiled now. We can Google search everything that we need. We can go onto Trove and get all the historical stuff. But I, I'm still old-fashioned. I like the idea of actually being out there, doing it, touching it, seeing it, smelling it, um, because that inspires me to be more passionate about my story. Yeah, without a doubt. A, a very good point. When we're researching online, we are pulling in data points. We're reading, we're, we're getting a lot of information about something, but until we put that to action, it's hard to truly appreciate it. It's kind of one-dimensional in a lot of respects. So, for instance, um, before we were we were recording here, we were talking about a trip that I took to Liverpool and London and Amsterdam doing story mastermind workshops there in June. And I got to Liverpool, and there were a lot of things I wanted to see. Um, one of them was the Cavern, the famous bar where so many rock bands were. You know, they, they say it truly was the, the birth of rock and roll. But when I was there working with Brian Adams of PH Creative, he goes, well, that's actually, mate, not where rock and roll began. You should go to the Casbah Coffee Club. Um, and he sent me in this taxi cab out to this little suburb of Liverpool. And here stood this two-and-a-half-ish, three-story house, a very old place, very nondescript. And in there was the basement where the Beatles actually got their start when they were in high school. And it is still left untouched from when they were there. So I got a chance to get a tour of the place. They showed me where uh, John and Paul painted the ceilings and all this. And they gave me the backstory about how the Beatles were all playing there. John and Paul were playing together, but Ringo was in a different band and George Harrison was in yet another band. And then, of course, they've got their famous trip to Hamburg and the 10,000 hours of practice. And they came back and really started, you know, uh, killing it in 60, what, one, two, three, 63, I guess. And it wasn't until they got to the cavern where Ringo then finally joined the band. And so they said, well, the Beatles, the birth of rock and roll happened in the cavern when they all got together. And now I've learned by purely that experience, after reading all the data, doing all my homework, not even realizing this story existed, having experienced it. And I know in, in a lot of your work, you're talking about traveling and sharing those stories. Well, I wrote a big, long article for you know, on business of story just about that, about, oh my God, this whole new uh, vision of how rock and roll started was absolutely open to me, and I got a chance to actually go in and walk through it and live it. And without that, all my real um, interactions with the Beatles, per se, would be all data-driven. I listen to their music, I experience it, I love it, but everything else about their history. But it really came down to that event of that day of finding that very surprising, true to me, anyways, birth of rock and roll in that basement of a nondescript home in a suburb of Liverpool. That's a story that I can really live into. Yeah, and, and you can hear it in Park's voice as he speaks and he's very passionate and I'm sitting here just going, I'm in love, I'm watching all this, this is fantastic. Uh, but I think we run a very real risk of of losing, I guess, losing our adventure by not getting out there and, right. and experiencing things. And I know they say you can't write a story unless you're out there um, experiencing it. And I'm wondering whether there's more and more truth in that. We get a lot of stuff in our inboxes about how to write a story in two weeks and how to write a story in three weeks and use this program, that program, and stick in a few extra sentences, grammar check it, and you've got a story. It's not how it works. It's, it's gotta ha you've got to have that passion. Without a doubt. And you've got to go out and get bloodied. You know, <laughs> you've got to try things, um, have adventure, 
you know, my father, uh, 90 years old, wonderful man, still going strong up in the Seattle area. He always taught us adventure. He says, life is nothing without adventure. You have to get out in it. And I am a big, big believer in that. You know, you can only sit there with your iPad and your lap for so long reading these things or, or that wonderful novel, you know, you're reading through. That's marvelous. But man, if you're not out there mixing it up with the world and people in it and the universe and trying things you're afraid of, Joseph Campbell, you know, has a terrific line that he says, if you are in the woods on a well-beaten path, you're on the wrong path because that's somebody else's path. You need to pull your machete out and start carving your own path through the forest. And, you know, he says this from after studying story that led to his uh, hero's journey from the ancients in every culture, race, religion. It all says the same thing. You have to go out and find your path. And that's scary. But when you go for it, it's extraordinarily rewarding too. Yeah. And that, and that, I guess everybody, if you're listening, if you're still listening to this discussion, because I've sort of taken over here, uh, it's it's the message that I guess that I want to get out uh, the most and encourage you all out there who are out there doing it, who are living that wonderful life of traveling around, that you do have something to offer, you do have something to share with the rest of us. And by you telling your stories, you may just impact on someone else and allow them to tell their stories as well. And I think that's the benefit of sharing our stories. As you said, it goes right back to the olden days. Yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, you know, I ran this I ran this agency for 20 years and I just got to the point that I didn't really care to run an ad agency anymore. So I had to make a big change and I pivoted. I'm 55 years old and I pivoted at the beginning of this year to go on full on with the business of story and help work with wonderful people like you around the world um, to share what I have learned um, because I'm absolutely fascinated about the power of story and the, uh, the structures of story and how it works in our lives, both internally, both professionally and externally with our brands, that it was a big leap. And a lot of people ask me, why would you do that? Why, you know, um, and I just said, I wasn't happy with the story I was on, the path I was on anymore. And I had to create an opening, which I did. And I had worked up to it because I've studied this for a long time and I've used it in a lot of different ways. I just found a new application or a, a more focused application, how I wanted to use it. And Melinda, you know, I'm still learning as I go, but it's been so much fun. It's exhilarating. It's frightening. I make missteps. Um, I bloody my nose. Um, but then when I have a lot of successes and I have great people that come up to me after workshops and say, thank you. I had uh, a lady in Harla Lemir, um, uh, Netherlands, who came up to me and said, you gave me a present today. And I said, what is that? She goes, I now understand what my story needs to be. And I haven't been living into it for my kids. And I'm like, wow, that's not what I designed to do, but that's what happened. Um, and so I have all these marvelous little wins along the way that tells me, even though as I'm hashing through the forest with my machete, creating, blazing my new trail, and sometimes running into waterfalls and off of cliffs, that I am absolutely heading in the right direction. And I think I'm going to do it literally until I die. I can't imagine stopping. You know, to, you have to be that adventure on this road, especially if you're making a living as a storyteller, because that's where you really get the marrow of your story of all that that's happening around you, the people you run into and what you experience in the process. 
Yeah. Oh, look, thank you. Thank you very much. See, we, we ended exactly where I needed um, Park to end because awesome. at the beginning there I was going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, I can't tell my story. But Park's just told it for me. Uh, what you're saying, Park, is what I'm living. It's what I'm living for my children. It's what I want for my guests and my readers, uh, giving us all permission. You can listen to the passion in this man's voice. You can listen to his enthusiasm. I was went for a train trip with my daughters yesterday into the city and I bought this wonderful book called Pivot um, because it comes up a lot in conversations. Now, you're going to tell me who wrote it, aren't you? No, I wish I had. Oh, okay. Um, hang on, hang on. I hope um, if I don't disconnect this, hang on. Ah, here it is, Adam Markle. Can you see that? I'm familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. I haven't read. I've heard it's very, very good. Yeah. Um, for everybody out there who's listening, it's called The Art and Science of Reinventing Your Career and Life. Now, I actually reinvented my career and my life without reading the book, but now I'm reading the book and I'll share it with you. Um, it comes up time and time again in the podcast that I'm listening to, the people that I talk to. This word pivot, I think it's, I'm guessing it's quite, Oh, I don't like the word fashionable, but it's around at the moment because there's a lot of dissatisfaction and people have realised that we're not actually living the lives that we're meant to be living and it's almost giving us a permission to to redirect ourselves a little bit and get on that path with machetes. Oh, I love machetes. I've got a few ex-husbands <laughs> I could machete on the way through. Uh, and I guess that's what you're talking about and that's why you're so alive and that's why people are listening to you um, and leaning forward. I'm leaning forward listening to Park as we speak. Uh, are you, just to finish off, because I've uh, taken up more of your time than I said I would. <laughs> I, everyone's used to that as well. Sorry, guys. Um, is there anything that you'd like to finish off with? You know, I'll finish with how I started. I really, truly believe the most potent story you'll ever tell is the story you tell yourself. You have to own that first before anybody else is going to buy into it. And by owning it, I mean, it's got to be true to you. It's got to be the story that you're living for yourself, that you're not living someone else's story. And that's true from very large brands right down to us in uh, solopreneurs working. So, Belinda, let me ask you these 10 questions. You don't have to answer any of them. But this will be something good for your listeners to write down. This takes the story cycle and boils it down into 30 seconds. And answer these questions. And if you can't, it's hard to answer all 10 of them. It will give you points to dig into a little bit deeper into your story and how to really refine and clarify your story. So number one, what do you do better than anybody else? Talk. <laughs> number two, who cares? Uh, my children. Great. Number three, what do they want? They want to, I guess, have permission to be passionate about what they want to be passionate about. Okay. Loaded question for you then. Number four, why don't they already have it? I think they already do. Okay. In most cases, we'll be looking at audiences that want something, but they don't already have it. Yeah. That's what we're giving to you guys. We're giving you permission. Exactly. Um, what do they want? Why don't they have it? What is standing in their way from getting it? That again is related to how you can help them get it. Then it goes on to number six. So how are you equipped as their mentor to help them get it? I'm bringing in people. I'm bringing in you guys. I'm educating and learning every step of the way so that I can share my knowledges with everybody else. 
Yeah. And so then how do you do that? Through podcasts, through your website and whatever? So sure. how are you equipped and how do you do it? Uh, how do I share the message? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So I'm equipped because I'm I'm learning every day, reading every day, studying every day, listening to the experts every day, and then I take and distill what I've heard, what I've learned, and what I've listened to, and I on share it. And then share it. Great. For them, what does success look like? I hope success looks like for you guys out there listening is that you do what I'm doing and you say, wow, I can do this too. And why Mel's got some great dumb tools there that I'm going to borrow and I'm going to take them away and I'm going to tell my story too. What does success feel like? For them or me? For them. It's always about them. Remember, your audience is always the center of the story. What does success feel like? All right, so success for you guys is you now feel empowered after listening to um, Park speak and you are, you have more tools to go out there and have a go. Great. Final question. How do you keep them coming back for more? You keep coming back for more because I'm so enthusiastic about what I do and I'm out there searching for people for you to learn from next time. Perfect. So those are the 10 questions. You go right down there. Um, Again, you can find those questions on my uh, website at businessofstory.com. It's a very simple little blog post there. Answer those questions and where you've got a hole in your answers, if you're not real clear, that's when you just start diving deeper and you can use the story cycle process to really get clear with your story. It's scary, isn't it, everyone? A little test. We got little tests. I think I got stuck on about when I answered for my children. I probably should have answered my guests. That would have been easy. You, okay, go. You, well, you did wonderfully. You did <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm see, see, we all need we all need affirmation, guys. Um, so I'm. Yeah, I've adopted Park as my new influencer. Um, I'll go on and super study his his website and that storytelling cycle, which. Seriously, I think we will all benefit from studying in depth, even though I guess a lot of us know it, I guess, intuitively anyway. We have, we've yep. adopted it in our lives to start with. Now, I've been speaking to Park and he he sort of, I don't know whether he feigned interest or he may really be interested in coming out to Australia and running some mastermind storytelling workshops with us. So I know, Absolutely. I know. Oh, see, absolutely, everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh, we have a commitment. It may take a little bit of time to organise because his wife wants to go to Melbourne, but I reckon, you know, we'll get him up here in Queensland as well. Park, thank you very much for being a beautiful guest. Um, sorry, guys, we're up to an hour again. It's not my fault. It's Parks for being so very, it very is, interesting. It's my fault. <laughs> yeah, and a very a more passionate man, solopreneur, doing what he wants. He's pivoted. He's he's out there um, extolling the virtues of the power of story. Uh, thank you very much, Park, and I look forward to a long and lasting friendship for me and my audience. Thank you, Melinda. It's an absolute honor to be here, and I'm blessed to know you now. Okay, and I'll, I'll work on that branding thing, guys. Um, we've really got to work out what we're doing here. Okay, talk again soon. It's bye from the